1: Thanks for joining me for another blunt Sister on CannabisRadio.com. Our next guest is the founder and CEO of a California-based lifestyle brand, forging the principle of radicalizing the common narrative surrounding cannabis culture. And with a lot of work when it comes to luxury brand communications and also working with influencers and talent in order to create and, and really brand build and create real business to really promote and put out a real visual towards products, so I'm here with the CEO and founder of Loon, L E U N E, Needy Lucky Handa. Needy Lucky, thanks for coming on.
0: Thanks so much. I really appreciate being here.
1: Absolutely. So, now I want to just get the tie in because what you did, we were just getting on and talking to you before we got on about the fact that you did work with talent, you work with influencers, and you were tying in together the right spokespeople to partner, to, to pair up with the right brands, the right products. So talk about what that experience that you did in terms of working with talent and doing brand building and marketing in that sense that was the onus for Loon.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, to be honest, I the the real like sort of experience where my, I cut my teeth with brand was um, earlier in my career. I, I worked in my family's business luxury, very high-end jewelry and watch brands. And we worked with over 200 different brands. Um, You know, if you think about anything from Rolex upward into like the upper echelons of Swiss watches that cost, you know, ungodly amounts of money, um, really amazing exercise in learning uh, about marketing and brand segmentation. And, uh, you know, consumership why would a consumer uh walk into a store and see 200 brands of essentially a thing that does the same thing and be drawn to one over the other so you know that was kind of my my uh early background and working in talent management and in, in particular brand building um that was a really interesting exercise because that's looking at a specific personality it was sort of at the time when YouTube creators were becoming a thing. And all of a sudden there were these individuals who suddenly had millions and millions and sometimes billions of views on their channels, um, that were just beginning to be monetized, um, into, you know, AdSense revenue from Google. But the question was like, now what do I do with this? How do I turn this into a brand? Like what, what you know, what does it look like? What does longevity look like? So, you know, brand in general has always been a thing that really interests me and um, has seems to be like a focal point in my career. So when I saw the emerging recreational market in California, um, it was like, it it certainly wasn't very premeditated. Um, you know, me as a consumer walking into a dispensary and seeing a very narrow assortment of brands is what got me my wheels turning and thinking about, wow, this is an interesting, complex space to build a brand.
1: Now, just from your Instagram, I look at and I see where Loon really does target towards, really, I feel like it's a very young demographic, a very hip demographic. And it's kind of hard just to try to identify what that is these days because, you know, unlike other generations, you know, for, for Gen Z or even for millennials, we had particular styles and schematics that really identified a generation, but those generational uh, those generational barriers, those are gone. I feel like we're going to get an amalgamation of different styles, whether it's very kind of classic or vintage kind of look to it, retro, if you will. And there's really not been anything that's that really comes out and identifies. So when you put your products out, when it comes from the branding, the packaging, and The marketing of it, take me what it takes into account, what you're doing and, and, you know, the research you've done to try to find out what the Loon brand should stand out and look like.
0: Yeah, it's a great question. And so much of it is really relying on both intuition and other industries because cannabis is so unique. And, you know, in that, A, it's not federally legal. Uh, it's regulated or legalized on a state-by-state basis, which means there are these bizarre silos in place, uh, which also means that the rules are different market-to-market for what you can say, what you can do, what the packaging can look like, what the aesthetic can be, what products you can sell. Um, So there's like just this myriad of complexity. So by the time I think most brands think about the consumer, it's like, you know, way down the line. It's 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 like first, okay, how do we tackle all these regulatory complexities? And what colors are we allowed to put on the packaging? And then it becomes, oh, who's the consumer again? And for me, being a very um having a very strong marketing and brand background, the first questions I was asking was, Who's the consumer? Who am I interested in targeting? Like what do I believe and Who am I interested in? And A couple of those, um, you know, really, like, from the jump, really interesting data points for me were, okay, the data is suggests, and data can be very misleading, as we all know, um, that early regulated cannabis is largely male-consumed. So if we look back to 2017, 2018 California, the statistics were leaning very male. And, you know, if you kind of, like, to look a little further, look a little deeper into that, it doesn't take a lot to kind of realize, hey, well, there's a socialization problem here. And this is important for consumership and brand building and also just like, you know, basic brand tenets of like understanding who's actually consuming your product. In cannabis in particular, there's often a distinction between who's engaging in the act of buying the product And who's consuming it, meaning I'm a woman who grew up in this country. I've been smoking weed since I was a teenager, far before it was recreationally legal. I was socialized that my boyfriend or the guy goes and deals with a drug dealer. And that is a thing. That's a thing that women have been socialized to believe forever, that that, that's how we get our weed. So when you look at the data and the data suggests that it's a very male-dominated industry, that's misleading because the female consumer and my conjecture from the start has been, no, 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 I think women are consuming just as much as men. We don't show up in the data and therefore the brands that are being built are seemingly being skewed very masculine. And in starting this company, I was taking a bet, right? Like everybody's taking a gamble when they start a company. You have to believe, you know, you have to be drinking your own Kool-Aid. Otherwise, what are you doing? Right. And my Kool-Aid was, hey, I believe that this industry is going to become and evolve like any other CPG industry, I believe that consumables should not be gendered. And further to that, I think that the reason that women pay the pink tax in the drugstore is because products are gendered. We know this. We know that you know, a pink razor costs more than a black razor in the drugstore mm-hmm. uh, just because of the color of it and all of these extra taxes that are applied. We also know that if we look to some of the more comparable and there's really nothing comparable to weed. But if we say, OK, alcohol, tobacco or any of these sort of vice industries are somewhat similar from a branding perspective. Um, I don't know about you, but like when I go to a bar, I don't order a kettle soda and say, oh, but my boyfriend will have a Tito soda. Right. Like we we, there's no gender in uh in in spirits it's it's a very niche thing you know there's a there's yes there's always the exception but the rule is generally there's no need to talk about gender in a consumable and I believe that to be true in weed and so for Loon I was really eager to build a brand that would engage with a 50-50 audience understanding that well I particularly when I entered weed, all of the brands were just like the same black packaging with gold writing. It was like a lot of the marketing Mm -hmm. was like girls in booty shorts and bikinis, super misogynistic sort of tropes. Um, A lot of that has gotten better, but it's still there. We see it a lot, particularly in younger, newer markets, but. um, Well, because
1: they think that the same marketing works every, all the time. That's just, there are some real traditional tropes that are out there that just do not change. No one's evolving. And that's the part of the issue here. When I look at what you have with your packaging and what you do right now, the packaging is very neutral, very uh, neutral colors. Everything across the board, it's just to feel very – it does feel like it's trying to be very much a universal feel to a brand, universal to it, and also neutrality where no one's going to feel any kind of indifference at all about what they're picking up that is not targeted for one or the other. But that's what you have to do, too, because of where people are very conscious about that more Mm -hmm. than ever. And that's part of the thing where where you're doing that. It makes sense. But also in the same vein, it's what is that something that you're starting to feel like? Is that because of what you feel like internally as a company, that's what you want to be doing. That's how you should target. Has that been something that you've been getting as a feedback from the customers?
0: Oh, it's, it's, well, it's fortunately for us, it's been both, you know, it started as a very pointed agenda for me, which was, Hey, like I think that we underestimate men and how much they want aesthetic products. And if we look to actual data and actual brands that men consume, like particularly look to, you know, DTC brands that have really taken off in the last 10 years, Mm -hmm. men like aesthetic products. Like I think it's this weird misnomer, misunderstanding (laughs) that, um, you know, that women like aesthetic and men just want sort of uh, analog tropes. And uh, we are, I think, real proof of that. So if I was targeting a 50-50 consumer from the beginning in an industry that was does not look like that, the majority of brands are catering either 80% plus to men or 80% plus to women, um, we consistently see I, I, today, you know, like we, we look at sales data and whatever demographic data we can get. Now we're in six markets, so we can see like a smattering. We also look at our social media data and who's actually <clears throat> reading. Right, and overwhelmingly, we're generally skewing fifty three percent male, forty seven percent female. Um, yet, I consistently sit in rooms with male executives in our industry who keep telling me what a beautiful female brand I've built. You know, like there's a there is definitely a synapse between. I think what people think and how the consumers behave which is just part of a bigger you know a bigger issue of we all need to be doing a better job of paying attention to the consumer because the consumer speaks with their wallet and ultimately in any industry whether it's cannabis or anything else if you're dealing with a consumer product or good you should be thinking about that person so you know at loon we've spent far more time thinking about consumer uh you know like preferences relative to product assortment relative to flavor relative to use case like when are people using certain types of products when is it when is a consumer using a pre-roll versus rolling their own joint from jarred flour when is a consumer using a disposable vape versus a 510 cart? Asking these questions lead, in my view, to making smarter and better products and also understanding how to market
1: them. Well, let me uh, ask you this, Needy, because of where we we're going in this conversation, we're going to go to commercial break. When we come back, I'm going to be back here with Needy Honda, founder and CEO at Loon. Website is leune.co. Take a look at it as we go to commercial break. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Welcome back. I'm here with Needy Honda, founder and CEO at Loom, L E U N E, and dot .co for the website. I want to go back and just take well, one. There's a program they used to uh, produce on another network that's part of the company that I work for. And we used to do a show, uh, it was called Purse Strings. It was a marketing to women podcast. And one of the things our host uh, worked with her for 10 years. And one of the things she always mentioned on every time of her show was that. Women are the most powerful or, or the powerful majority in the country in the USA, comprising 51% of the population and in charge of 80% of all the spending and the number continues to grow. So my question is that while you're doing the approach here, does it make sense that while you are – more women are, are accepting in the product, you said 53-47 split, that if you are putting products that are much more pliable to women and much more appealing to women – To where men can also be appealed to is that part of the approach as well, where it is more centered towards women, but men should also not feel anything where if they're picking it up themselves, they're also accepting of whatever the packaging and the marketing is because still at the end of the day, it's the product itself that's going to sell itself.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I think that's where I started. And now what I've learned five years in is that actually because we hit certain markers. So for example, our products are high potency. We know that men in particular tend to look at potency as a marker when they're buying products, particularly when they're shopping online on an online platform or in a dispensary that displays things like potency as as a, a variable. Um, so I, I think when I started the brand, I was, I thought exactly what you said, we'll build Mm -hmm. a brand that looks very aesthetic that women will like, because, and by the way, that was part of my pitch deck. Women make 80% of the spending decisions for the American household. (laughs) If they're going to buy the beer and the clothes and all the other stuff, why are they not going to buy the weed? Right. And what I've learned five years Mm -hmm. in is that that was really underestimating the male consumer because the male consumer cares about aesthetic likes that right like there's nothing overtly female about the marketing or branding other than the fact that it's colorful and aesthetic and color blocked um there's nothing there's nothing overtly female we use we always i'm very particular about using a complete 50/50 split in terms of models that we use in shoots we always have men and women equally represented the same way that we represent as many races as possible. I'm all about, you know, uh, representation at Loon. It's a big part of the company. And, you know, so I think it's interesting because the thing you said is exactly what I thought and what I've learned is something, um, uh, you know, far, very, very interesting about the male consumer, which is exciting.
1: What you're doing is you're taking this new approach, this evolved approach from the beginning, here and you're making a national cannabis brand that's how you position it as so you've already moved into the six, you said six markets so far that is california arizona maine missouri new mexico most recently and montana Correct. as you're doing montana this
0: actually is our newest montana just launched last week
1: oh so. i'm sorry okay well i saw the, the story about new mexico yes. and I realized montana's also launched as well that's great yellowstone country <laughs> but now <laughs> what i wanted to go and ask you now is about how the positioning of this is a national cannabis brand because eventually we will get to that day where you know Loon products will be available in 50 states, hopefully, or as many as possible based on legalization and when that happens, whenever that's supposed to be. But you took the approach of going for this as a national brand and making sure that there's consistency across the board. Meanwhile, most companies that try to go and do the brand where they have it, you know, when it comes to your flowers, there's various flowers that you have. And they are variable in various states. So when you're looking at your products now, and you're looking at if it's cartridges, vape, vaporizers, pre rolls in flour, especially with a pro- flower, and making the profiles that you have the Loonverse, as you call it, with Pina Dream, Calibre, Cloudberry, Naked, there's a gold soul berry. Those are pretty com- Those are the profiles that are definitely consistent across the states. Talk to me about what it is that has been able that you feel like you've been able to go and find the secret sauce to be able to replicate in markets when you know you can't just put it and just distribute, you know, put it in trucks and move them from state to state until we get the legalization?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think a, a market difference between Loon and some of the other brands is that I never didn't see it scaling. So I was thinking from the beginning about what are the complexities that are going to come with scaling and how can I build architecture into the brand that speaks to like, how do I tell the story of Loon in different markets, even if I can't have exactly the same packaging, the same product assortment, like there's different warnings. Sometimes the products have to look different. How do I tell that story? And so what I really focused on was building the ethos of the brand and the consistency through these archetypes. So, you know, the ones that you mentioned and thanks for that. That's like very nice. It's very nice to hear other people like, you know, say that the name of the archetypes, but, you know, everything inside the Looniverse or like inside our brand, including the name Loon, Loon is something I made up. I won the federal trademark for that word. It does not mean anything. Right. It is truly like my intention was, I want to build a brand that is synonymous with weed and that won't have any IP issues because, I mean, and right now I think we're watching a lot of that unfold in our industry. Um, but that should be the basic of building any brand, regardless of what it is, particularly in this country. Um and then, secondarily, this idea of like, okay, now inside the architecture, what are the things that I can own? And so all of those archetypes only exist inside Loon products. So, you know, all of these words that Soulberry, Desert Gold, Caliber, all these things, these are all trademarked in every state. They're all part of our brand. So, if a consumer goes into this to a store and says, hey, what do you have that's purple haze? Right. It forces the bud tender to present them with, whatever they have that is that strain. Now, if a consumer goes into a store and say, hey, what do you have that's Soulberry? That mm-hmm. only exists inside Loon. So whether that right. is a vape cart <clears throat> or rosin gummy or a pre-roll, right? What it does is, because I think that so much of what our industry needs to be thinking about right now, but unfortunately we don't seem to spend enough time on, is thinking about how are we helping the consumer to learn how to de- how to buy and consume these products. Like, how are they going to like, what are the, what is the infrastructure, right? Like we understand, we, we look to alcohol, I think so commonly because it's, it's a very young, it's a very somewhat newly legalized Mm -hmm. industry, right? So with alcohol, we had to be taught, Hey, there's an alcohol that you drink with brunch, there's a different one that you drink after a hard day of work, and there's a different mm-hmm. one that you drink in a paper bag outside of a convenience store. We had to be socialized and taught these right. different social tropes. Similarly, in cannabis, I think a big challenge that we should all be like welcoming with open arms is helping the consumer to understand where, when, and how they Should consume or or slash listening to them (laughs) to inform how they are consuming when they are consuming. So, you know, for example, vaporizers. I think vaporizer is a really interesting category that continues to be a very strong, if not the strongest category in every market, particularly when it becomes newly recreational. And I think it's very clear to me at this point that the reason is discretion. You hear it again and again and again in new markets. I heard it in California. I heard it in Arizona. I heard it in Maine, Missouri, all of them, the same thing. The consumer saying, I just want something that's discreet. I don't want to stink up the whole house. I want to be able to to take a hit before dinner. I want to be able to walk outside and, Mm -hmm. right, and not just, and so this idea of, hey, this is a product that helps me consume cannabis, but get through the stigma because we're not quite there socially yet. You know, and this is such a weird thing, right? Every every state, it's like Groundhog Day, like they're all going through it.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, and part of it is, you know, you just got to be able to get and say, okay, I want to be able to hit a vape or take a gummy, something that'll at least, that'll t- tide me over in mm-hmm. the time, whatever it is, for whatever reason, I want to be able to get, have that feeling, have that high, just feel that, 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 that moment right there for where I'm going to go and jump into, have that. The other thing I want to make a point of is that when you talk about, having the proprietary names and trademarking them in different states. It's like what I see with Coke and Pepsi. Okay. If you want to have a soda, they have the name for that. If it's a lemon lime, if it's a, if it's a, you know, an orange juice or whatever it is, there's a particular brand name behind it. And people are going to call by the brand name and it's only going to be Loon is going to have that product. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. all that makes sense to me. That is what you're doing as a national brand. That's the focus of that. I love the approach. I think the approach is wonderful. And, you know, I'm here with Needy Handa, back with more questions with her after a short break. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. We're back with final questions with Needy Handa here on Blunt Business. Again, the website, leune.co. Take a look at it as we continue. It also comes from the fact that because of, well, I think also because of the background, the fact that, you know, being woman of color, bringing this company into light bringing people also of color into the space when it comes either as spokespeople or people that are visuals or just creating this cultural you know landscape that is very colorful wide wide reaching that this all encompasses trying to bring as much of a wider audience as possible and also not leaving anybody left out
0: Absolutely. And also understanding that we have to meet the consumer where they are. Like we're still in infancy in legalized cannabis, generally speaking, everywhere in the world. So understanding that, you know, I I feel like the sort of the idea of two ears, one mouth really applies here. Like spending as much time listening and taking feedback, yeah. um, paying attention, you know, because it's 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 very tempting in our industry to focus on supply and demand, which is which has been the predominant factor in how weed sells in this country, right? Like new markets are constrained. There's never enough weed for for the demand, and therefore it doesn't really matter what the form factor is. Consumers are there's more demand than there is supply. So by the time most people start thinking about the idea of use case or, you know, the things that we're talking about, brand segmentation, the architecture of the brand, they might be losing consumer retention because they forgot to build the brand. They forgot to build the thing that the consumer would latch on to. So, you know, if we think about the way we consume any any product, right, we tend to be quite passionate. (laughs) We we might not describe it that way, but like if I think about you know, going to Whole Foods and what kind of almond milk I buy, I don't buy almond milk unless I find the one that I want. Like I have a very specific need. Now I wouldn't, you know, like say that I'm passionate about almond milk, but that's my behavior. My behavior is very specific. And I think that if we really look at consumer behavior in most consumable areas, people tend to behave that way. And if we want that kind of retention, we want that kind of, Loyalty from a consumer, we have to show up and give them something worthy of their, them being so loyal to us. So it's an interesting push pull, but I love working in this industry. I, you know, the, I always say to my team and to folks in the industry, we're so lucky the the best behaved part of everything that we do is the consumer. They're right. so excited and happy and ready. Mm-hmm. And like, what a cool thing to be able to be, to work in an industry where you're bringing so much joy to people. Um, but, you know, often that gets overshadowed by the complexity of their regulatory <laughs> environment, oh, yeah. strained raw material market, whatever it is. It's, uh, it's well, a, it's you know, part
1: of it is too is, that is what the MSOs are going to be doing. They're making mass produced brands, high supply and demand products, looking for something that might be just familiar that, that just works for them. But meanwhile, an operation that is independent, that is craft cannabis, I always like to call it as, it's the ones that are, they get the ideas like they're, you're giving more specific products, more attention to detail, more attention to the product itself. It's, you know, addressing the signal, not the noise. That's what I look at it as well. And it's yeah. really what you're doing there. And that's what makes products like Loon stand out. So let's go and get people to the website again. Uh, the website is Loon, L-E-U-N-E dot C-O, L-E-U-N-E dot C-O. And again, products are available right now in dispensaries. California, Arizona, Maine, Missouri, New Mexico, and Montana, and that's going to take you to the website, and if you could, give me a little bit of an idea of uh, just some of the products that you really have stood out for you, as we mentioned you know, in the program. Products do vary by state, by the way, so, but in California, you had the full product. It looks like the West Coast states always have more of the products available when it comes to cartridges, pods, uh, packs of pods, vaporizers all in one, pre-rolls, edibles, and flour, so if you can take me through a little bit of the product, the flavor profile and and just some of the products that uh, people can go look for themselves online or in the stores. Sure.
0: Sure. Um, Vaporizers are generally available in all of the markets that we're in. Um, There's no exceptions to that. I I think I'm, I'm racking my brain, but no, they're available everywhere Um, as are pre-rolls for the most part, pre-rolls are everywhere at this point. Um, Jarred flour, uh, close behind. Uh, and the gummies are the newest addition to the Loon lineup. By new, I mean we've had them online for about a year and a half. Um, it's in California, it's a rosin gummy. I am very passionate about that product. One of the one of the problems that I was really interested in solving for was that same story every consumer tells you, which is, oh my God, I went to a party this one time and I ate this brownie and I couldn't see straight for three days and, you know, in the industry. And, and as you of course would know that that's really like speaking to the dosing problem, you know, early weed days, there was no conception of dosing. Um, and what's exciting now is that we can talk not just about dosing, but like micro dosing, you know, so our gummies are dosed in two and a half, five and 10 milligrams. So you can really, what that enables you to do is really figure out what your sweet spot is and, From a use case perspective, it's been really interesting to listen to the consumers, the consumers talking about using the two and a half milligram gummies before they clean the house or exercise or whatever, you know, like like the sort of efficiency of the focus that comes with it. Um, We also pair nutraceuticals with our gummies. So we put daily dose of vitamin C in all the gummies. And some of them have soulberry, for example, has B-complex in it, which gives you a lot of energy. So in addition to the rosin, you're getting this sort of upper experience from the B-complex, which makes for a great night out gummy, you know, um, cloudberry, on the other hand, we put spirulina in, which is an anti-inflammatory and is great for nighttime. It's a really interesting, and then, you know, we have a gummy called Pina Dream. Pina Dream is, is, has, um, in that product, there's CBG, CBD, and THC in it. So it creates right. an incredibly ethereal effect. Um, and that is, you know, a completely different experience. So it's interesting, you know, if you hold constant, the the milligrams of THC, the experience that you can have just based on these different inputs is pretty wild. Um, I'm a daily consumer of our gummy, so I can personally speak to uh, the, the <laughs> nuance of the gummy experience. But I right. think that, you know, honestly, the pre-rolls in my joint, I am a ritualistic consumer for me, the six o'clock walk around the neighborhood with a joint is, um, is, feels like a ritual that i never want to let go of. Um, and we are very, have come to be very well known for our joints, um, both the, uh, the terpene infused joints as well as caliber, which has hash in them, um, which is a little bit more of a, a um, multi-layered high, if, if you will. <laughs> um, right. I, 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 the first time I consumed weed was in Europe and it was with hash. So it was really important to me to have a hash skew. So I yeah. was, I love that, that product, um, realize hash isn't for everybody, but, uh, I like it a lot.
1: Fantastic. So again, I've been joined here with Needy Honda founder, and CEO at Loon, a website against L-E-U-N-E dot C-O. Thank you for taking them out. I really loved what the strategy and, and the marketing direction you have for the products. It's very interesting and a very great way that you've learned to go and evolve through all this to create this national brand that people are going to get a, more chances to go ahead and get their hands on. And I hope they do. Thank you again for being on.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thanks for listening. and We'll talk to you next time. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger.